lifetime, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Surprise! Joe's still out. He is uh, making his way back from the Grand Canyon and his retreat. So you're stuck here with me, Rudy Carlos. I'll be your host today. And glory to God in the highest. Uh, Good morning to you. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, where we'd like to keep you informed and inspired. And, uh, well, it's Monday again. It's Groundhog Day. Just kidding. It's actually Tuesday, but it feels like Monday. We're just a little bit uh, into the week now. Tomorrow we'll get a little bit more jubilant because we're going to get close to the uh, the weekend there. And hopefully Joe will be back. But uh, we got some interesting topics today for the show. And I figured since midterms are coming up, I wanted to ask you, are you prepared? Are you informed as to who you're going to vote for? Who's out there? Who's uh Who's picketing? Who's doing what? You know, I thought it would be prudent to discuss this, but from a different perspective, uh, which is why at past uh, 15 past the hour, we're going to take a look at a great article from the European Conservative, which is a website. Uh, and it's uh, an article written by Charles Colomb, a good friend of ours. And um, it's asking a very good question. Can conservatives really band together? Or are we like blind men describing an elephant? And then at 35 past the hour, William Otis is going to join us. He's uh, an adjunct professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center, and he's a former federal prosecutor and former special counsel to President George H.W. Bush. He's going to join us to talk about the elephant in the room. The theme of the show today is elephants. Um, He's going to talk about criminal justice reform. Is it really working? Is it restorative justice is it good for our society and uh, to help us with that, uh, to lend a helping hand? We have the the fiery, the firebrand, the greatest man I've ever met, the, the, the best friend I've ever had, Brent Haynes. Brent, if, good morning to you. If only the people in the radio could see your face as you say that, Rudy. I, well, some people are watching on YouTube so they could see me. <laughs> they could see me just so... Full of emotion. Brent, you're such a good guy. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello. <laughs> good morning, everybody. How are you today? Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Especially, better than yesterday? Uh, every day's a good day when you're up and about and healthy, right? I suppose so. Yeah. Every single day is a new opportunity to save one's soul. Every day's a blessing. It is. And speaking of blessings, you see what, you see what I did there? We have Adrian Fonseca. On the ones and twos. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Praise be to God. You know, my, my buddy Colton's actually going to be coming in today, and I'm going to do an interview with him. So nice. uh, I'll be posting that later if y'all want to check that out. But my buddy Colton, yeah, he's uh, joining the Contemplative Carmelites. Ooh. So he's going to be cloistered up for the rest of his life starting next Monday. So he's taken off. Uh, so I was like, oh, let's talk about... Uh, spirituality. Let's talk about the mystical and ascetical theology, 
And so it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be an enjoyable conversation, things that you never really talk about, how to pray, what's huh. prayer like, all that kind of thing. So it's going to be fun. So as a contemplative Carmelite, they don't do any sort of uh, labor or anything. They're just dedicated specifically to praying for the world. They're more similar to the Benedictines. Mm. So they do they do their own work. Um, they do receive donations, so they're not completely self-sufficient like the Benedictines, but they're mostly self-sufficient. Gotcha. Huh. Well, that's uh, that's going to be cool. Uh, we could share that with our, our social feed. You could join our, our Telegram page, uh, Telegram chat, that is. Uh, Joe sends out an invite for that in the uh, the weekly email address. So if you want to join that, go to uh, grnonline forward slash cdt to join in on that. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to send it this week, but maybe he will be. And uh, in any case, Brent, uh, what's on your radar for uh, for later today for your segment? Well, let's talk about uh, education again. We've talked ah. about it in the schools before. Let's go a little higher. Okay. You know, let's talk about what's going on in our military academies. Very good. All right, looking forward to that. Uh, that's going to be at the start of our uh, second hour there. So let's jump into our show today by praying for your needs and for the conversion of sinners as well as for Joe and his son's safe return from Arizona. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And now, here's your headline news this morning. Good morning to you, and thank you for tuning into Catholic Drive Time. Today is Tuesday, September 20th, and here are some headlines for you. The Epic Times reports, here's how much a new monthly mortgage will cost. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage averaged 6.02% for the week ending in September 15th, according to the new Freddie Mac Primary Mortgage Market Survey. That's up from 5.89% in the previous week and 2.86% the same week in 2021 and represents the highest mortgage rate since the housing crash of 2008. With these interest rates, the average monthly payment for a 30-year fixed mortgage with uh, principal interest and private mortgage insurance is nearly $2,430 according to Redfin's mortgage calculator. This estimate is based on a medium house price of $400,000 and a 10% down payment. Breitbart reports hundreds stranded in collapsed buildings as powerful earthquake hits Taiwan. The Sunday quake was the strongest in a series of tremors over the weekend, concluding with an earthquake of magnitude 5.6 yesterday. The epicenter of the seismic activity was near the town of Qishang on the south, uh, southwestern coast of Taiwan. Meanwhile, an avalanche caught off a resort on a mountain in Yuli, leaving some 400 tourists trapped with no electricity and minimal cell phone signal. Hundreds more were stranded on mountain roads cut off by the quake. LifeSite reports Satanists consecrate Zurich Town Square before Swiss March for Life. A video shows several people in black robes standing in a circle around a fireplace in a marketplace of uh, Zurich's district Orlikon. A narrator speaks in a distorted voice explaining how they had consecrated the marketplace in Orlikon to Satan together with the Satanic High Priest from all over Europe. When asked about the video, Beatrice Gall, media spokesperson for the Swiss March for Life, said that she was aware of the video, but she doesn't watch such destructive things, and that's really good advice. She said that pro-lifers would pray for the square on the day of the march and not let themselves be influenced by such incidents. 
And finally, the Daily Caller reports Pentagon to investigate U.S. military's alleged secret internet influence campaigns, otherwise known as PSYOPs. They're real. Twitter and Facebook had repeatedly taken down accounts they suspected had direct ties to U.S. military branches, including U.S. Central Command, otherwise known as CENTCOM, an investigation from Stanford University and Graphica in August found. CENTCOM has not commented on its use of social media accounts to manipulate viewers. Such activities would put the U.S. in line with Russia, China, and Iran, known for their widespread use of bots and state-controlled social media personas in an attempt to sway audience opinions on sensitive issues, and would absolutely be a violation of doctrine and training practices, a defense official said. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Francis Posadas, who was born in Cordona in Spain in 1644. Few Dominicans have had more difficulty getting into the order than Blessed Francis de Posadas, and he was one of the glories of the convent of the Scala Cholier in Cordova. It is embarrassing for us to read that the reason for his exclusion was plain and, slim and simple snobbery on the part of the superiors of the convent of St. Paul in Cordova. Francis was born of a poor young couple who were war refugees and who had been shunted from the place to place until when Francis was very small, his father's health failed and he died in Cordova. The young widow tried several types of work and finally she was reduced to selling eggs and vegetables at a street stand. She tried to educate her ch child for she knew he was very talented, but without money, it simply was not possible to send him to school. She encouraged him to go to the Dominican Church of St. Paul, and there he served Mass every morning from the time he was six or seven years old. While he was still a very tiny child, he used to gather the other children together for rosary processions or other devotions. The smile of God seemed to rest upon him for all his poverty. He was a very happy and attractive child, liked by everyone, and he was a natural leader among his fellows. Twice during his childhood, he was miraculously saved from death. This fact and his undoubted piety should, be, have, should have seemed sufficient reason for admitting him into a religious order. However, by the time Francis was old enough, there were two reasons to make his entry difficult. His mother had remarried and the stepfather would not permit him to enter. The Dominicans, moreover, would not have him. They said that they did not want their, the son of a street peddler. Francis had friends in the order, but the prior of the house he wished to enter took a violent dislike to him. It was several years before the young man could overcome the resistance of this man, who, having some influence with a provincial, was stubbornly determined that Francis should not be allowed to enter. Even with the fathers in the convent of Scala offered to take the boy and train him in Latin so that he could qualify for clerical studies, the vindictive dislike of the prior followed him and almost prevented his acceptance. Francis was finally accepted, made his novitiate, and gradually overcame all dislike and distrust by his charming manner and his unquestioned talent as student and preacher. After his ordination, he was sent out to preach, and he earned the reputation of being a second St. Vincent Ferrer. His talents as a preacher were rivaled only by his gifts as a confessor. He not only could hear, read hearts, and discover sins that had been willfully concealed, but sometimes he was called to one place or another by an interior spirit and shown someone badly in need of the sacraments. Francis hated the thought of holding authority in the order, and when appointed prior of one of the convents, he remarked that he would much sooner be sentenced to the galleys. 
He twice refused the bishopric and he skillfully eluded court's honors. Several remarkable conversions are credited to Francis. His last tears were a series of miracles wrought in the souls of penitents. People followed him about to hear him preach, regarded him as a saint and miracle worker. And one of his most noted converts was a woman more than a hundred years old, a Moor, with no intention of deserting Mohammedism. He was the author of a number of books, including one in the life of St. Dominic. After a life of miracles, Francis died in 1713. Being forewarned of his death, he made private preparation. But to the, to the last minute, he was busy in the confessional before dying suddenly. By the time of his death, not only the Dominicans of Cordova, but the people of all Spain were happy to have him as a fellow countryman. He was beatified a century after his death in 1818 by Pope Pius VII. Blessed Francis Posadas, pray for us. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of the day comes from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. The mother of Jesus and his brothers came to him, but were unable to join him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they wish to see you. He said to them in reply, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and act on it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hadock says, These brethren were not the sons of the Blessed Virgin Mary, mother of God, as Helvidius wickedly taught, nor yet the sons of Joseph, by another wife. For as St. Jerome writeth, Not only Mary, but Joseph also observed virginity. This is from Contra Helvidium, chapter, uh, chapter 9. In the scriptural idiom, cousins are called brethren, according to Bristow. Now, moving on to verse 21, there is no tie of affinity and friendship so proper and so becoming man as made by faith in Christ and strengthened by charity, thus according to Tyrrhenius. Now, the Lord says in the parable of the sower, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he, as he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang, a it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. goes on to talk about all the different types of soil, and I just want to ask you, where are you right now? What state of soil is your soul in? Is your heart distracted by the cares of the world, what you're going to eat, what tie you're going to wear? Is your heart hardened like the rocky soil, or are you willing and are you able to cooperate with God today, to hear the word and act on it, to change your life, to turn away from the wages of sin? Hey, don't go away. After this short break, we're going to talk about this fascinating article from the European Conservative. See you in just a few minutes. Men, it's time. Participate in the next National Men's March to abolish abortion and rally for personhood on Saturday, October 15th, 11.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. in Boston. There is a man connected to every abortion. Men are a big part of the problem, and it's time for all men to take responsibility and be a big part of the solution. All men of goodwill are invited to participate in the march, and everyone else is needed to show up for the rally beginning at 2 p.m. outside of the State House. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. It's often said that people can engage in whatever sexual activity they please as long as it doesn't harm anyone. 
But is this a sufficient moral criterion for evaluating sexual behavior? I don't think so, and here's why. First, it begs the question against the natural law moral theory. Since if the natural law approach is true, then sexual acts that the natural law condemns as immoral would be harmful to a person's moral character. Second, although it's true that we should avoid inflicting unnecessary harm, it can't be our only moral criterion. For if it were, then we'd have to say a person's intent to murder or rape someone is morally permissible as long as he doesn't carry it out. But that's absurd. Avoiding unnecessary harm is a part of a good moral theory, but it's not enough. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Glory to God in the highest. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos here, joined by Adrian Fonseca and our illustrious friend, Brent Haynes. Brent, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Anytime I'm here with you all and our listeners on GRN, I am doing great. Well, we love to have you here. It's it's awesome. Um, You know, I was thinking yesterday, after after work I went to... uh, to the range to practice my my marksmanship with my pistol because you sure you want to say that on the air? Well, sure, why not? Um, I, I don't think it's a secret. I think I see some men in dark suits coming through the front door. Yeah, they're here really. to psyop us here. But uh, you know, <laughs> I go there. I, I don't like carrying my pistol, but when I do, I, I it's the weight of the world on my hip, you know, because you never want to have to use it. And if you do have to use it, you have to wonder, you know, am I going to have the accuracy to do that? So I go out and practice, and I went to the range, and I had a really weird encounter with one of the the people who worked there. I was asking about a, a pistol, and he went on this long tangent about uh, all kinds of different things. But uh, I got to thinking in the course of this conversation that we didn't see eye to eye on certain political or ideological beliefs. I think he might have been an atheist, so please pray for this man. And I started thinking, you know, midterms are coming up. There's a lot of different issues. And even from a conservative perspective, there's uh, certain things that we think are more important than other things. If you talk to a particular conservative uh, pundit or whatever, they have a particular outlook as to what the crisis or the, the situation is. And so I found this article uh, a few weeks ago that uh, I want to share with you, dear listener. This is from the European Conservative, and uh, it really gets to the heart of the matter here. Um, The headline goes, post-liberalism, integralism, what does it all mean? And before you, uh, you, you know, glaze over, I'll explain what those things are. But in reality, what he's talking about here is is the fact that uh, as conservatives, we have different... uh, I think there's there's different uh, charisms is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Certain conservatives have this thing on the radar. Other conservatives have another thing in the radar. And with midterms coming up, I just want to bring this up so that we can all be united under one banner and try and find common ground here. So this is written by Charles Colomb, good friend of the show, uh, good friend of uh, of the Gladrad podcast. <laughs> Um, and uh, the, the article goes on to say, against the background of unrest, unease, and governmental incompetence on both sides of the Atlantic today, a number of relatively new and similarly allied isms have made their appearance across the Western world. 
The summer of 2020, with its bizarre combination of dictatorial lockdowns for the law-abiding and license to burn, riot, and steal for those who are so inclined, was a watershed moment for many. And I, I think, you know, you can agree with that as well. So, too, was the lockstep endorsement of these measures by various ecclesiastical establishments, which included depriving their faithful of the sacraments, a measure Catholics who still believe in their efficacy to be an intolerable act. While Her Majesty's Canadian, Australian, and New Zealand governments made her subjects in those realms virtual prisoners, the electoral overthrow of President Trump setting aside the question of its authenticity signaled a triumphant return to power for the Democrats. These latter, having cheered on the rioters during the hot, hot summer of burning love, (laughs) which I think is hilarious, mere months before, found a similar, if much smaller and far less destructive outbreak on Capitol Hill to be an intolerable attack on the very foundations of the American Republic. I mean, you heard that language before, you know, the, the January 6th riots, they were an attack on the sacred Continuing, he says, presumably the burned out ruins and scores of lost lives in at least a dozen cities across the land were nothing in comparison. Meanwhile, the shill orgy of attacks on the very foundations of Western culture and all those historical figures who have spread it around the world has continued to echo through learned societies, academia, media and bureaucracy. We'll talk about uh, academia a little bit later with Brent Haynes, all under the ironic name of woke. So he's setting up a picture here. You know, this is uh, this is we're we're coming out of a really strange time here after the lockdowns, after the riots, etc. He continues to say there are some welcome sights. There, there was some slight relief, of course, is what he said. In the easing of COVID restrictions, or perhaps best symbolized by the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations, uh, of even as those around her coronation in 1953 presaged the end of wartime rationing in Britain. But of course, a new crisis broke out earlier this year with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, with its unwelcome revelation that one major ruler of a world power who employed decent rhetoric was not above a quick snatch and grab. Alas, his fiercest opponents were also often the most furious wavers of the rainbow flag, whilst ordinary folk try to make sense of it all, innocent Ukrainians, and for that matter, Russians, continue to die. In the face of all of this are certainties regarding conservative and liberal, right and left, and much else are up for grabs, which is very true. You wonder sometimes, uh, the conservatives here in this country, if they're actually conservatives. Continuing, he says, major corporations, once upon a time seen as bastions of conservatism, or at least anti-socialism, have become the foremost apostles of wokery in their advertising save in the Near East, where the fat cats are too aware that it would destroy their bottom line. The less said about the current pontificate, in this case, the better, although it might well have won the approval of Julius III. In the United States, the American civil religion, once a glue that all sides of the political spectrum held in common, has been reduced to a quarry of slogans for the Republican Party. Their woke opponents have turned on it like Unitarians renouncing Calvinism. Woke denunciation of the United States as the most evil nation in history is the flip side of American exceptionalism. Yes, we're seeing a polar opposite of American exceptionalism here. Our Western European cousins have seen their various Christian democratic parties jettison both Christianity and democracy in order to become government employment providers. 
the British and Canadian Conservatives have undergone a similar transformation. In a word, voters, where votes have any meaning, everywhere outside of Central Europe are offered just two choices, hard woke and soft woke. And, um, you know, in Europe, that's happening right now. But here, it's happening the same the same way. Uh, Adrian has uh, spoken about uh, how conservatives nowadays really are just slow progressives. Continuing, he says, so it is uh, that the aforementioned alternatives have appeared to fill the ideological gap between disgusting and loathsome. It might well be argued that the current scene offers the reductio ad absurdum of a revolution that arguably began in 1517. Having successfully defeated altar throne and family, it has turned its sights on reality itself. Um, he goes on, this article is a little bit long, so I'm going to tailor it down here, but he goes on to talk about uh, different figureheads that uh, that uh, have arisen in the past that he thinks are uh, you know conservative but have had their own uh, struggles here. But he says that uh, in the end, they had something in common. And he says here, the agreement is actually vast and may be summarized in two words, the common good. For all those thinkers, the end of the state is not as in liberalism, simply to allow the greatest number to pursue whatever they wish with a minimum of murder mayhem toward one another. Essentially, a negative role. Rather, to the state, or more particularly to the government, falls the task of assisting its citizens to achieve the highest mutual good, always keeping in mind that every job should be handed by the lowest possible level, such folk being generally very fond of subsidiarity. Here the question of what constitutes the common good becomes paramount. For most of it, if not all of our thinkers, the common good includes not being slaughtered in the womb or the old age home. A decent standard of living connected on one hand to good labor, but also not permitting starvation on the streets. A general uplifting of, standard of standards of education, culture, and exposure to nature that allows the individual to reach his highest potential. Stable families wherein such individuals may be nourished and formed. A network of intermediate bodies that not only assist the individual and the family in their respective quests for the good life, but also elevate the community as a whole and government that provides sufficient internal and external security of various kinds to prevent, to permit of those goals being accomplished. So there is primary, primarily both accord in the ranks of undying opposition to the current woke elite, but there is disagreement on one important area, that of the highest good, the eternal salvation of the individual. And I think here I will pause here, and I, I just want to uh, to mention, we're talking about the common good. So when we talk about uh, what exactly we're fighting for, we're trying to elect people that are going to allow us, as he mentioned here, to have these these standards of our life, but ultimately for the standard of good, which is the good of the soul. What is the good of the soul? Well, uh, it's, uh, I, would, I would summarize that it's not the liberty that we're so used to here because liberty is not meant to be corrupted in the way that we're using it now. We don't, we don't have liberty to do every single thing that we want to do. Liberty is to unite us, to allow us to do the will of God. Continuing here, he says, uh, let's see here, let's skip across here. Uh, he's talking about the United States now. The United States of America, however, were sui generis. 
initially produced by a civil war among supporters and opponents of monarchy itself, both Protestant and liberal, they have started their national life without European slash Latin American equivalent of conservatism, etc. That highly elastic word came to mean uh, what were called elsewhere liberals, while in time the latter terms came to mean folk who elsewhere would be socialists. A common civic religion was invented which granted sacred status to the new country's institutions and in which all Americans could participate, while a second civil war created a partial alternative faith for Southerners. The common dogma of this religion was the pursuit of liberty. One remnant of the United States' European origins were a common moral consensus, which gave the national faith an anchor. This splintered in the 1960s, cutting the civil religion adrift, and in the end, leading us to where we are. Um, Brent, I, I just want to I, I open it up to you and... and you know, get your take on these midterms here, where we are as a country, because I think we're we're at a point where we find less and less in common with one another, and focus on kind of the 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 tribalism uh, concept, and just kind of stick with each other, and just are constantly finding ourselves not united, not not able to speak on certain things, kind of like. Uh, this man that I met yesterday at the range. Well, you know, the man you met you met yesterday at the range, maybe you all had some uh, basic differences, and maybe he's an atheist. The real question is, when you have a, a social community, mm-hmm. especially a country as large as ours, is it possible to maintain any kind of social and governmental cohesion if a critical mass, not everybody, but a critical mass of the people do not share a set of coherent moral values. Yeah. If we don't have the common good of the soul, it's going to be very hard for us to meet anywhere halfway. But in any case, uh, we have to pray, we have to fast, we have to do penance so that we can not be like those blind men trying to describe what an elephant looks like in a room, but rather to understand the common good of man, which is uniting ourselves to the will of God. Don't go away. More breaking news. Hi, this is Pam Stenzel. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march, and then everyone else show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about the need to value and protect every pre-born baby from fertilization. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, the Catholic Church is too condemning. It needs to practice more tolerance. G.K. Chesterton says, the other word for tolerance is indifference, and the other word for indifference is apathy. The Catholic Church cannot afford to be apathetic. It cannot afford to be tolerant of evil. It has to be consistent in opposing what is wrong and defending what is right. And the Church especially cannot afford to tolerate social evils that are condoned by the state. Why? Because sooner or later, it will be turned against the Church. History has shown this to be true more than once. Chesterton says there have been times in history when the church has been wedded to the world, but it has always been widowed by the world.
Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now more headlines. Justin News reports, Biden says COVID pandemic is over in the United States. Should we celebrate? <laughs> As you notice, no one's wearing masks, he says. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape, and I think it's changing. Republicans on Monday criticized Biden for his comments, saying, in other words, there is no ongoing emergency to justify his proposal for student loan handouts, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Blackburn from Tennessee said about Biden's interview. The administration cited the COVID-19 pandemic as a reason to forgive up to $20,000 in student loans for some borrowers. Reuters reports Baltic states and Poland closed doors to Russian tourists. Four of five European Union countries bordering Russia began turning away Russian tourists at midnight on Monday, saying that they should not travel while their country is at war with Ukraine. Poland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania imposed new restrictions as Finland decided to remain open, though it has cut back the number of consular appointments available to Russian travelers seeking visas. Russia said on Thursday it would retaliate against European Union curbs on visas for Russians, but would not close itself off from the bloc. They say the interests of us and our people will be taken into account in the first place when choosing retaliatory measures. LifeSite reports Facebook allegedly reported users to FBI for doubting 2020 election results. So be careful with what you post there on any of these social media platforms. You never know who's looking. Facebook, whose chief Mark Zuckerberg already has admitted trying to influence the 2020 election for Joe Biden by suppressing damaging information at the request of the FBI, has now been caught spying on private messages of those who use social media platforms and reporting them to the FBI. Sources inside the Department of Justice confirmed Facebook spied on those who expressed anti-government or anti-authority sentiments or questioned the 2020 election and reported their statements to the FBI. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Brent? You know, Rudy, in the legal profession, uh, lawyers generally consider that the really, at the apex of the profession, the real heavy hitters intellectually are the appellate lawyers. Mm. We had a serious issue in my office yesterday where I work, a very serious issue, and we were discussing it. So we called in our heavy hitter, one of our appellate lawyers, who's actually argued and won at the U.S. Supreme Court. Wow. So we're uh, fortunate today to have a lawyer like that as our guest here to talk about uh, criminal justice reform. Um, Bill Lotus uh, served as a U.S. attorney, as an assistant U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of Virginia and served as chief of appeals. Um, now, the, Bill Otis has too many, you know, accolades and accomplishments to his credit <laughs> for us to go into all Praise of them. Praise be to God. But he did, he did serve in several positions in the federal government back when that was an honorable thing. And he served in the White House uh, under President George H.W. Bush. Mm. Uh, Bill Otis, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, Bill, you write a column at Ringside at the Reckoning, uh, commenting on current events and social issues. And your one of your recent columns was titled, Under Incarceration and Early Release Equals Mass Murder. Now, that sounds contrary to the prevailing wisdom of mass incarceration. Yes, it, uh, it is contrary to what is called the prevailing, quote, wisdom but as is often the case these days, what is passed off as wisdom is not only not wisdom, it's not true. Um, 
we we used to be doing much better than we're doing now. As a matter of fact, the kind of the history of crime and successful criminal justice reform versus the kind of criminal justice reform that's going on now uh, is something that your listeners might be interested in. Uh, starting in the early 60s, uh, the United States kind of went on a binge in which we had greater faith in rehabilitation. We wanted to let judges just exercise um, their complete discretion as to what sentencing ought to be. We came in, in some of the liberal segments of our country, we came to view police not as the answer to the problem, but as the problem itself, uh, as an occupying army, as it was sometimes put uh, by some of the extreme liberal groups. And we got something for our trouble, for our belief in rehabilitation, and our cutting down on the use of incarceration. What we got was a 30-year crime wave. And I'll give you an example of that. In, in the early 60s, 1961, in particular, we had 8,700 murders in the United States by by three decades later, in the early 90s, 1991, we had 24,700 murders. That's about three wow. times as many. So it turns out that our our belief that the police were the problem and that everyone could be rehabilitated was just baloney. It wasn't true. The results were literally bloody, and the groups most uh, severely impacted by this 30-year-long crime wave were, of course, black people and, and inner-city residents who can't afford to move out to uh, wealthy suburbs and better-protected suburbs. So we had a big crime wave, but a more responsible Congress and a more responsible executive branch under Reagan and then George Bush uh, undertook some reforms um, instead of just a, a blank belief in rehabilitation. Uh, we did some things that um, that got us to a better place, for example, uh, starting in the early 90s and for about the next 20 or 25 years. We hired a lot more police. We believed, uh, we came to believe in proactive and aggressive policing. This was particularly true, for example, in New York City under Rudy, Rudy Giuliani and Bloomberg. And the number of murders there, which had been over 2,000 under a liberal mayor, David Dinkins, plummeted to about 300 per year, just a dramatic fall off when we had proactive policing and had more cops on the street, uh, as you would expect. And something else happened in the uh, in the Reagan and Bush years, which I'm happy to say was continued for the most part uh, during the Clinton years, and that is the federal government kind of set the stage uh, by adopting uh, the Sentencing Reform Act, which is in the in the mid 1980s, which was co-sponsored by a very curious duo, um, Strom Thurmond and Teddy Kennedy. Uh, one of the most conservative and, and one of the most liberal members of the Senate. And what that did is it gave um, federal judges, at least, and this was copied throughout the states, most of them, uh, sentencing guidelines. Uh, it was thought correctly that sentencing was just a scattershot affair, that it was the luck of the draw, just depended on the temperament, 
the ideology or even the mood of the sentencing judge. So we introduced some law, sentencing guidelines. At the time, they were binding guidelines. Um, and also sentences increased, and we had more incarceration. So over the next uh, about 20 to 25 years, starting in the early 90s, crime came way down. Crime rates were cut by almost half in the United States. Over, that's the biggest fall-off in crime over the shortest period in American history. The murder rate fell by more than half. Uh, it had been, in 1991, it was about 10.4 per 100,000 people. It fell to 4.6 by 2014. And again, I don't want to be partisan about this. Bill Clinton uh, continued the reforms that the Reagan-Bush administration had undertaken. So we got to a much better place. But then, uh, just in recent years, uh, we've, we've started to backslide. There has been something called the, uh, called the progressive prosecutor movement. You may have heard of that, uh, where we have these very liberal prosecutors, people who actually used to be, uh, public defenders or prominent defense lawyers, uh, have been backed by big money, uh, provided by George Soros, the most prominent example, and taken over the district attorney's offices in such big cities as New York, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, St. Louis, just to name some. They had, and they had taken over in San Francisco. But recently, I'm happy to tell you that the progressive prosecutor there was recalled by the very liberal voters that may be the most liberal city in the United States. Uh, he was recalled by a margin of three to two because the citizens got tired of having uh, heroin needles just littering the streets of having these homeless encampments, which are uh, the sites for a great deal of violence and drug abuse. So people are starting to push back there, but we're nowhere near uh, to where we were just a few years ago when we followed the successful Reagan-Bush policies um, and had more police and more aggressive policing. You know, a lot of the Younger listeners won't remember what you're referring to, but when I was growing up, that crime wave was a definite part of reality. It was reflected in the popular culture. It was reflected in the news. You couldn't watch TV or uh, watch TV news without hearing about the crime. Places like New York City uh, were just considered uh, just uh, the capital of crime. As you mentioned, it got up to 2,000 murders. Things were so bad that listeners of a certain age might remember that the actor Charles Bronson started in a series, starred in a series of movies, not one or two movies, but five movies at least titled Death Wish. And the whole theme of this series was that this vigilante went out and dealt with criminals because they were out of control and law enforcement and the criminal justice system wasn't taking care of them. Uh, after we come back from this break, Bill, uh, let's talk about some of the other issues here that are at play now in the criminal justice system.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. At your church, there's probably some great music, enthusiastic clapping, and maybe even a shout or an amen. But where's the church-wide act of contrition and the confessing of sins? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible and the church. Psalm 47 does declare, shout unto God. It does say, clap your hands, all you people. But there's one more highly valuable physical expression. Strike the chest. What's that? Three times your fist strikes your chest for external admission that my sins were my fault. Secondly, order of the Mass. Within the first 60 seconds of a Mass, the congregation says together, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Each of those are followed by my firm strike upon my chest. And my take out of Luke 18 says, but the corrupt tax collector dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, but beat upon his chest in sorrow. Proper order is confession before praise, sorrow before joy. And this makes sense. Why? Because remember what mom said, dinner first, then dessert. So don't forget to strike. Find me online at Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. Hi, this is Father Stephen Imbarato. Join us in Boston for the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th. Men, we will gather outside the Planned Parenthood to begin the march, and then we're going to meet everyone else for a 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about constitutional personhood for the pre-born and where we need to go from here. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Again, details, mensmarch.com. Join us and spread the word. Welcome back. We have Bill Lotus, former appellate federal prosecutor. Here is our guest. We're talking about criminal justice reform and Bill's column where he writes at ringside at the reckoning. Bill, one thing about the claims about mass incarceration, that uh, well, there are several things that bother me about it, but one thing that really gets me is the advocates of this position would have everyone believe that our prisons are filled with people who committed nonviolent crimes. That in the most extreme case, our prisons are filled with people who just got caught with a marijuana joint. And based on a lot of the information I've seen, the reality is that we can't significantly reduce the prison population unless we let out nonviolent criminals. Uh, unfortunately, you're right. Um, the idea that the prisons are filled with you know 19-year-old kids who got uh, caught smoking a joint. That's complete baloney. Uh, now, in federal jurisdiction, which is only a small slice of their, their 51 jurisdictions in the United States, 50 states in the federal jurisdiction, federal jurisdiction does have a significant percentage of its inmates uh, for drug offenses. But that because that's because uh, federal criminal law is very different from uh, from the state's criminal law. In state criminal, the states incarcerate the huge majority of people who are in prison now, about 85% of the prison population, the state prison population. And those people are not in for smoking a joint. When they're in for drugs at all, uh, it's not marijuana. It's drugs that will kill you uh, and do kill you. And we've had uh, record uh, a record number of deaths in each of the last two years uh, because of drug overdoses. Last year, was about 105,000 people died uh, from drug overdoses, and they didn't get those drugs that didn't fall out of the air. They were sold to them yeah. um, by people who want to make a fast buck rather than get a job like the rest of us have to. 
so we have a significant and lethal problem uh, with drug trafficking, and it's not marijuana. It's uh, it's heroin, uh, fentanyl, uh, methamphetamines, drugs that will and do kill people. So that, that's a big part of the problem. But the other part of the problem um, is is... <laughs> Well, and there are two parts of it. The first part is that our opponents just aren't telling the truth. They continuously use the phrase mass incarceration, which is designed to imply that there's a big chunk of the population that's in jail, what, 10%, 20%. You you never know because they won't give you the actual number. They just use this incendiary phrase, mass incarceration. There is no such thing as mass incarceration in the United States. About one-half of 1% of the population is incarcerated, and one-half of 1% um, isn't mass anything. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the question is whether now that, now that we've become complacent, uh, and now that we've started to backslide into some of our bad habits of the past, um, not whether we have mass incarceration, but whether we have under-incarceration, whether people who should be in jail uh, aren't in jail. And we see episodes of that every day. If you, you look at you just have to look in the paper, and you'll see, well, some horrible, you know, a violent crime, a murder, uh, an aggravated assault, a rape, has been committed, and if you read down the story so many times, you'll see that it was committed by someone who was previously in in prison and was yeah. and was often given a short sentence, and even for the sentence he was given, he was released early because we've started to believe again in exaggerated notions of rehabilitation. Yes, now, Mr. Otis, you know, one of the uh, one of the, the, the good examples of that is the Waukesha Parade uh, massacre. You know, Brooks, the guy who drove his car down the, the parade, he was let out uh, pretty early on in, into his sentence, and you know, he went on to go, to go and do this. So it's a, it's a good example there. But, you know, I'm, I'm wondering... By the way, this is Rudy Carlos, uh, uh, co-host of the show. Um, I'm wondering, you know, there's, there's, I think there's two sides of the the argument here, right? I mean, one side is saying yes, we need to we need to lock people up, and I agree with that. Um, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that uh, less than one percent of the population is incarcerated because that really is it's just a term that's thrown out. Mass incarceration is thrown out as if it was like you know. Uh, the worst thing that's ever happened in the entire world, but we're, we're seeing that uh, it's actually not not the case. But you know, I, I'm wondering: is there like a, maybe a third way here? Is there anything that uh, that can actually restore, you know, these these criminals to help them to function in society again? I think, you know, from a Catholic perspective, we're trying to get people. Yes, we believe that they should be incarcerated. We do believe in the death penalty and all of these sorts of things, but. You know, for those people who are uh, you know, being incarcerated for for drug offenses, is there is there anything that's restoring them so that they can be a functioning member of society again? There is for some of them. Um, the key, the key thing uh, when rehabilitation is possible, and unfortunately, you know, we um, every normal person doesn't want to see uh, criminals just warehoused. At some point, virtually all of them will be released back into society. So we all have an interest uh, 
the criminal himself who is not going to want to go back to jail. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the broader public has an interest, um, and, and not just uh, compassion or religious um, beliefs, but a concrete, you know, everyday interest in making sure these fellows can live a normal, honest life and get a normal job mm-hmm. like the rest of us have to. Unfortunately, that thought, of course, has existed in the criminal justice system for as long as there's been a criminal justice system. It's an obvious thought. The problem is that we really don't know how to rehabilitate people, mm-hmm. but we do know one thing, um, that the key to rehabilitation is a change that only the prisoner himself can bring about. Government p- programs can't change your heart. Yes, Only you can change your heart. Only you can decide that the way you've been living isn't good for the people around you and isn't good for you. And once you make that decision, then there is hope for successful rehabilitation. And that's mm-hmm. why even though I'm pretty much of a hardliner, I believe in prison sentences that are going to safeguard the rest of us, but I also believe, because virtually everyone gets out, that we should do what we can by way of, um, for example, uh, counseling, uh, employment programs, teach people. If you expect people to get an honest job, they have to have a marketable skill. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we should do and that we try to do in prison, which is uh, teach people marketable skills. But again, the key to it is not how many government programs we have or what they're called or how much money is spent on them. The key to them, the key to whether a prisoner changes his ways is in his own conclusion in his mind and in his heart that he wants to live in a different way Mm. from the ways that have been harming people and got him a prison sentence in the first place. Now, our experience is that that is only a minority of prisoners we have. We have terrible recidivism statistics. Recidivism means doing it again once you get out. Uh, The Bureau of Justice Statistics has tracked this and finds that more than three-quarters of released prisoners eventually get back in business. If it's not the first year or the third year, by five or seven years out, three-quarters of them have been arrested again. So although all of us, you know, everyone of good faith has 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 an interest in trying to rehabilitate prisoners, it doesn't work. And I think, you know, I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist, so I don't know. I'm an appellate lawyer, um, so I don't know the reason for sure it doesn't work. But my experience of life tells me that by the time a person becomes an adult, uh, in his 20s or 30s, that's, that's the period... And that's a period in life in which you, if you're a criminal, you're going to come to the attention of the criminal justice system. The problem is that your ways of thinking are pretty well set. Mm. It's not it's not true for everybody. There are some people who can change. But for the most part, your ways of thinking are pretty well set and um, kind of the, the die is cast by them. You know, it's interesting because as you're speaking, uh, talking about this this topic, I'm just thinking about the the reasons the the church because uh, here we're Catholics. I don't know your personal beliefs, but the 
in the Catholic Church, we talk about the different reasons for the for the different punishments. There's the immediate, trying to get rid of the immediate threats, so that's why you throw people in prison, or in certain cases, the uh, capital punishment. There's also retributive justice and a and a deterrent, and also a what we're calling restoring the person. But I just thinking about as you're saying this. In the church in the past, whenever there was in Christian civilization, there were elements where you had, you had monks and priests coming to the gallows, coming to the prisons to preach to the people, to restore them to faith. And, but the current criminal justice system seems to just produce worse people. We see people come in with one crime and they come out committing even worse crimes. And I, in some sense, the only answer uh, without having a, the church involved in the, the conversion of these people is to just leave these people in prison for life. But that seems almost, um, cruel to, in, uh, to leave people in there for life. So what kind of solutions do we have to these problems of the lifelong sentences? We don't want to throw let violent criminals back into society, but at the same time, we don't want to have cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? that, that that's a really a good observation. Um, the, the federal statutes actually embrace the four things you were talking about as the purposes of punishment. Uh, the first is just deserts. Uh, what you know? Um, what does this crime deserve by way of punishment? Deterrence is another one uh, to deter other people who might be thinking about committing crime. A third is rehabilitation. We don't want to just warehouse the guy or have him get worse. We would hope that he changes his ways and get better. And the fourth and final one is incapacitation. That is, while uh, a person is in prison, he's not out on the street. Uh, selling fentanyl to your 16-year-old high school kid or engage in sexual misbehavior uh, with your daughter or stealing your car or ransacking your house while he's on vacation. So the one, that, the one thing that we know works uh, among the goals of sentencing is incapacitation. And when we, when we have something we know works, that's what you should do. And the reason that it's fair to say that, again, we don't want to punishments and okay. unconstitutional well thank we you for that compassion for the next victim too. we're running out of time here bill lotus thank you that'll do it for this hour of ern catholic drive time come back for the next hour Hi, this is Carrie Beatley. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 1130 for the march. And everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about how America's abortion king pushed the lie of abortion on the American people. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. 
The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! Hi, this is Sister Dee Dee Burns. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march. Everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about the urgent need to be actively pro-life and pro-eternal life. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and please spread the word. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hi, my name is John Henry from St. John Vianney Catholic Church, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Or rather, he was canyoneering. I think he's on the road today, heading back to uh, to Texas, so keep him in your prayers. But uh, wow, what a fascinating hour there. Love that interview, Brent. That that, uh, that was really a great conversation. I, I love what, uh, what Bill mentioned it really, you can't rely on the government to change these people. Because the, the fact is, with a lot of these issues, we have to remember that the, the issue at hand is what we're all fighting every single day. We're fighting original sin. Because original sin is in our, our life, uh, or to a certain extent, to a certain extent, because sin is in our life. We can't change the world. We can only change ourselves. And the criminals who are, are there, they're, they're having to, uh, to figure that out, right? I mean, it's not going to be the government telling them uh, about their soul. Well, and we're handicapped in the United States because we do have a purely secular government. You know, we mm. are prohibited from having yeah. really active religious uh, endorsements or activities through mm-hmm. the government. Uh, so you and I know, our listeners know, as, as Bill Otis said, you know, ultimately it's the criminal in his heart. And yeah. we know that uh, ultimately that involves God. You know, the most effective reforms out there, reform efforts, are the ones run privately and run by volunteers on the Christian front. Look mm-hmm. at Chuck Colson from Watergate fame, who's famous for starting, you know, his uh, prison fellowship. Yeah. it And these... Uh, but you can't go in, unfortunately, as part of a government program and try to reach people. You know, there are times at work where I wish I could just say to somebody, assuming they're not represented by an attorney at that particular point, there are times <laughs> where, uh, well, I'm prohibited yeah, as a prosecutor from talking to them if they have an attorney, but there are times where sometimes I just really wish I could say to them, talk to them about what they really need, mm. you know, and what could really change. So, but we're not allowed to do that. And we have to do it through private efforts. Uh, God bless the people who go and volunteer and do prison ministries. It's a special calling. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, these people, you know, they're still responsible for the crimes they've committed. 
Yeah, and, I agree. And I think the, the problem is, and what we were discussing at the very end there, too bad we ran out of time, but uh, is the idea of the different reasons why we incarcerate people. It's not simply for reform, but it's also not simply for the protection of the public. It's also mm. not simply for justice sake. It's for all these things together. These All these things go hand in hand, and they, they shouldn't be separated. And each one of these things has to be balanced whenever we're making decisions about these things. And it really does make me, it does sadden me a little bit when I think about the prison system because I'm, in one sense, I'm like, yes, one, it's just, so we should be doing it. And two, we have to protect the public, so they this needs to happen. But at the same time, it saddens me because these people who are incarcerated don't come out better. They, no, they even don't. if they're taught a job or a skill like some of these new reforms are doing, they come out with a skill, but not better people. They don't come out with virtue. And that's a grave problem. That's, we have two different problems in the United States. And one of them is not mass incarceration, as Bill Otis, you know, mm-hmm. established. Less than 1%. But, the the other issue is nobody focuses on what Rudy uh, what Adrian just talked about, which is our. I just think that as a as a Christian, uh, you know, as a, especially as a Catholic Christian, that our prison system is just a disgrace to humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the inmates run the asylums. Uh, in part, this is because of you know liberal do gooders and prison litigation reform which has just swept the country starting in the 60s and 70s. Many mm-hmm. state systems, such as Texas, were uh, were run by federal judges for years and years and years. Uh, and the result is that uh, there were some improvements, but on the other hand, there are just a lot of things that tied the hands of the wardens and the guards. Uh, and uh, what we should really be focusing on is making our you know, making our prisons more humane, trying to folk try to focus on rehabilitation programs, try to do things to give incentives for these people. Uh, but in the end, they're there because they are dangerous. It is just a myth that we have a lot of nonviolent, non-dangerous people in prison. <laughs> and what a lot of people don't realize is how quickly people get out of prison. Now, uh, Bill Lotus is a federal prosecutor, and they have sentencing guidelines where typically a prisoner who gets a defendant who gets sentenced will typically serve, say, 80 percent of their sentence. Mm. In a lot of states, such as Texas, people will be shocked to learn somebody who gets a 20 year sentence can be out in as little as two and a half years. No oh, wow. way. And yes, here's how that happens. First of all, you have served 25 percent of your sentence and you're eligible for parole. So there's a lot of pressure especially in states like Texas, to move prisoners out of the prison system because it costs money. But you don't have to serve 25% in terms of actually serving five years day for day. You've probably heard of the phrase good time or credit for good time served or good behavior. So if a prisoner gets just one day of good time for every day served, then you serve two and a half years on a 20-year sentence. If you behave, you can be out in 20 years. And look, I get parole reports every day. This happens all the time. And if they're not out after serving, you know, 12 and a half percent of their sentence, they're out after serving 20 percent. They're out after serving 25 percent. Another thing is people don't realize, see, we could have gone on with this topic with Bill Otis a lot longer. Another thing yeah. people don't realize is when somebody gets sentenced to prison, a lot of times they've pled down their crime. So someone who's a drug trafficker, because there's so many cases, we can't try them all. So the prosecutor will plead it down and the the uh, defendant will take a plea, for example, for drug possession, not drug trafficking. But drug trafficking is an inherently violent 
uh, mm. activity. Yeah. But the person goes on the books as being just a drug possessor, and the criminal justice reformers try to use that stat to mm. say they're nonviolent. Another thing is that when people are sentenced to prison, they're not just sentenced because of that one crime. Juries are allowed to take into account, at least in a lot of states, their criminal history. So somebody who has committed a third or fourth or fifth fifth felony, you know, they might get a long prison sentence for, say, possessing a large amount of drugs. And then that looks bad on the stats. But the prosecutors and the police who are involved in the case know two things about that person. One, they had so many drugs, they were really a trafficker, even though they pled to possession. Mm. And two, they had an entire series of previous con uh, criminal uh, actions for which they had actually been convicted. Uh, so the system uh, just results in sentences being, cases being pled down, prisoners being released early, and then they just, you know, they, there's just an inducement there for many of them to commit a crime again. It's almost like a game, it sounds like, uh, you know, having them you know, do a certain thing, and they get a certain outcome. If they go this way, they go that way, take a left instead of a right, then they'll be out in 20 years instead of 100 or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a topic that we should talk about more often, I think. You know, it's it's underreported. But in any case, uh, I want to transition to uh, to what's on your mind this week, Brent. Uh, what, what do you have for us? Uh, what's going on in the world? You know, Rudy, we've talked uh, several times uh, throughout the summer about um, what's going on in the, with the woke curriculum in our public schools. We've talked mm -hmm. about how, for example, um, the Los Angeles Unified School District has developed a woke curriculum that, that uh, endorses uh, what they call queer theory. Right. Uh, we've talked about how schools will, uh, they describe themselves as having an open, these are the words they use, an open, inclusive, affirming environment for students of all genders. But then it turns out that they have official policies of not telling parents yeah. that children are doing, are doing, um, you know, engaging in some kind of gender transition. Well, what's happening at the university level? Now, we know that the universities, of course, are where a lot of this stuff is just preached and where, where, where students essentially are indoctrinated. But what's happening at our military academies? Mm. So Judicial Watch, through a Freedom of Information Act, uh, effort got uh, hundreds of pages of documents. They had to go to court to get them because even though it's Freedom of Information Act, they had to fight them. And they got documents from West Point. Now, the first question is, why would the government be hiding the curriculum of the officer corps for the United States Army? I mean, this is where we train our it's top. It's a prestigious school. It's not just a prestigious school. This is where we train our Army leaders for the future. At Annapolis, of course, we train mm. uh, the uh, Navy officers, Navy, yeah. you know, we have the Air Force Academy, and these are the people who go on to become, you know, the five-star generals, to become the, the, to serve on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Why is it that the government would hide those documents? Well, it turns out that they're pushing an entirely woke curriculum at West Point. Mm. They talk about whiteness, you know, they, 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 they make, they essentially make the incoming uh, white cadets feel guilty for their whiteness. And they make minorities, and especially African Americans, feel like somehow they are victims. And uh, people can go and look up this information, for example, at Judicial Watch. But uh, it, this is just another example that when we talk about these issues, especially this now we've gone from criminal justice reform and misinformation on that issue to critical race theory, when we talk about these issues, 
you know, we're not being hyperbolic. We're not being conspiratorial. We are not overreacting. It really is everywhere. When it's, when it's all the way from the grade schools and middle schools in the Los Angeles Unified School District over on the West Coast to the postgraduate, postsecondary, rather the postsecondary institution of West Point all the way over in upstate New York, uh, it's across, you know, it's, it's, it encompasses the country geographically. It encompasses the education system from kindergarten through college and grad school. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, when you put it that way, it seems like there's a, there's a disease here. You know, there really is. It's just everywhere. And I think when we talk about these issues, I, I want to hold on to hope, right? It's, it's, um, it's very easy for us to despair about the situation and think, oh, there's nothing that's ever going to happen. It's just so bad. It's bad. It's bad. And it really is. It's horrible. I mean, when you put it that way, it really is. But uh, is there any sort of hope here in, 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 in the fact that these things are being brought to light, do you think? Well, you know, it, I, I'm not a priest, but uh, I would say, <laughs> you know, I tell people when I give talks on these topics, you know, of course, we want to fight the good fight as citizens. And there's hope there when people get involved. But ultimately, you know, our hope really is in the Lord. Mm. You know, uh, our Lord promised that the uh, gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Yeah. Didn't say it wouldn't prevail against any particular government or any particular society mm. in any particular time or place. So, uh, you know, I encourage people to be informed and to fight the good fight. And ultimately, let's put our hope where it should be. But it is good to see parents, for example, uh, waking up and fighting back. We've seen uh, parents win school board elections in places such as North Texas. Uh, we saw what happened in Virginia when Virginia, the governor yeah. won the governor's race in large part. Probably he would not have won it if it weren't for the school board controversy. That broke at just the right time. Mm -hmm. It was in the very woke northern Virginia suburbs, which are basically an extension of Washington, D.C. And the... Uh, uh, the uh, Republican candidate for governor won there because he came out on the side of parents. Um, you know, we've seen the FBI and the White House go after parents who show up at school board meetings and call them terrorists. That's so interesting to me, Brent. And I'm wondering, in the last, you know, two minutes that we have here, um, what do you think the end game is here when the government is pushing this ideology really hard? You know, it makes me wonder, where exactly are they taking us here? Because a lot of our leadership now adheres to this ideology. What do you think the end game is? Well, I th look, this is where, you know, people accuse us of sounding conspiratorial, and it's hard in less than two minutes to talk about, you know, talk about this in depth. But people can go and study on their own and trace the roots of this. So it was mentioned earlier, maybe this all started in 1517, right? <laughs> well, let's just look at the French Revolution, jump forward to Hegel, then jump mm. forward, who was Hegel's uh, big follower after that, Karl Marx. Uh, go to the 20th century, look, for example, at the Frankfurt School, which came from Germany. These professors then came to the United States. When I was in college in the early 80s, one of their followers was Herbert Marcuse, who wrote a famous book called One Dimensional Man. Hmm. Uh, the modern philosophical derivative of all of this is called the critical studies movement. It's in all fields. So we have critical race theory, which we've been talking about. But when I was in law school over 25 years ago, it was already well established that there was an area called critical legal studies. Fascinating. So there are people who really are pushing this because they do genuinely want to fundamentally transform society. Then you have other people who are going along with it because it just sounds fair to them. 
Mm. And they're not thinking about the fundamental underlying issues. Kind of like the guy I met at the range yesterday. He seemed kind of confused, trying to toe the line. He had an idea of who he was in the past, and he felt that he was hitting a wall. And so he was changing and being so open-minded that his mind was falling out. But that's going to do it for this segment. Uh, coming up after the break is fear and trembling, and prizes are at stake. You can call us right now if you want to hedge your bets, go in and play our, our game show today. You don't have to know the answers. One eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. Call us right now. One eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. My Protestant friends say the Catholic Church has added a lot of man-made traditions to the Word of God. Is that true? No, it's not true. Protestants go by the written Word of God alone or sacred scripture alone. Catholics go by the entire Word of God as it is found in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. All of the Word of God was originally passed down as oral tradition. Eventually, some of it was written down. This became sacred scripture or written tradition. However, scripture itself tells us that not all the things that Jesus said and did were written down. That's where sacred tradition comes in. Paul says this about tradition. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Traditions taught by word of mouth and traditions taught by letter. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. In 1 Corinthians 11.2, Paul commends them for maintaining the traditions as he has delivered them. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an instance in scripture of Paul commanding the passing on of oral tradition. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. They received as the word of God that which they heard, not simply that which they read in Scripture. In other words, the Bible clearly supports the Catholic Church's teaching that the word of God is contained in both sacred Scripture and sacred tradition. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Hey everybody, Joe McClain here. Uh, I've assumed his identity. I've... Uh... Sit, I'm sitting in his Identity chair. Identity theft is not a joke. <laughs> you wouldn't download a Joe McLean. But uh, <laughs> I have some bad news for you guys. Uh, I don't know how to say this, but uh, there's no calls on the line. So you could be our guest today for our game show, Fear and Trembling. There are new prizes at stake. This week, We have uh, our underwriter is uh, the Troops of St. George here from the DFW area. So you can win today a beautiful paracord rosary, 100% Italian, olive wood, really nice. And they're also throwing in a tumbler and a water bottle. So uh, 
Call now, 1-877-757-9424. You don't have to know the answers to any of these questions because I'm going to ask Brent and I'm going to ask Adrian, and one of them is going to give me the correct answer and one of them is going to give me the wrong answer. So you're not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to put you on the spot. All you have to do right now is pick up your phone if you want to participate in the game show. Call us at one 877 757-9424. The phone lines are completely open right now, so you can take your shot. Adrian is by the phone. He's going to take your call. But while we're waiting, let me tell you about this fascinating prize, and let me tell you a little bit about the Troops of St. George. As I mentioned, uh, they are our sponsor this week, and the Troops of uh, St. George Apostolate aims to use the outdoors as their canvas and the sacraments as the path to light the way for the in- the formation of holy Catholic men and boys. How important is that to have the, the formation of your men and boys, the men, the, the man you're married to, and your children? Whether called to the vocation of priesthood or the religious life or that of holy fatherhood, our fathers and sons will take a prayerful pilgrimage together to fulfill Christ's desire for them to grow in virtue and in their holy Catholic faith as they journey toward heaven. St. George, pray for us. And if you're in the Dallas area and want to enrich the lives of your boys, make sure to check out troopsofstgeorge.org. Thank you so much for generously sponsoring our show today. As I mentioned, you're going to get a rosary, a tumbler, and a water bottle, all branded with the Troops of St. George regalia. And it looks like we have a call on the line. Uh, Adrian, who's our caller today? The caller is Angie from Pensacola, Florida. Good morning to you, Angie. Hi. Angie, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Angie, have you ever played this game show with us before? I did, but every time y'all say, the phones are empty, I have this guilt. And I go, okay, I enjoy listening to everybody else. Well, that's Just good. Well, thanks be to God. Thanks for calling yeah. today. And are you familiar with the rules today? I am. Okay. So you know that Brent is actually really tricky. Okay. I mean, yeah. the only reason we we allowed Brent to come in is because he's as tricky as I am. So oh you're going to have to watch out for that. Well, in any case, uh, we're going to have a good time today. Adrian, uh, oh, there we go. Adrian walked away. He scared me. I said, oh, no. Did I fire him? Did he walk out? Did he quietly quit on me? Oh, no. Did he fire me? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, in any case, we're ready to play. Angie, are you? I'm ready. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you the first question here. Or rather, I'm going to ask Brent the first question here. Brent, good morning to you. Good morning. The Immaculate Conception, Brent, refers to the conception of whom? as free from original sin. You know, that's so obvious and easy. I'm surprised you guys would even put that in as part of the quiz. Really? Obviously, it's Jesus as the the only man, the man God, of course, but is the only man who is free from sin. That makes sense. Uh, Yeah, he's the most perfect creation, of course. Um, All right, let's get a second opinion as as our good friend and... uh, our fearless leader, Joe McLean, says, uh, Adrian, the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of whom as free from original sin. Mm-hmm. You're you're a, a master in Immaculate Conceptionology, right? Right, yes, of course. Uh, a PhD in, in all the Immaculate Conceptions. Yes. All of them? All, oh, of, okay. the, all of them. I, I'm very I'm intimately familiar with all the Immaculate Conceptions. Huh. 
Uh, and the Immaculate Conception refers to the Blessed Virgin Mary, despite oh. what other people might say. Yeah, I do remember she said that one time. Something, something, I am the Immaculate Conception, something, something. like something, that, something yeah. Like that. yeah. Well, in any case, Angie, you have options here. Brent says it's our Blessed Lord Jesus, who was uh, free of original sin. And Adrian says it was the Blessed Virgin Mary, otherwise known as the BVM. What do you say, Angie? I say Adrian, with his PhD, knows it all. <laughs> Angie, thank you, Angie. Is so wise. Clearly, Angie is a very beautiful and astute young lady. It's very clear to me. So true. So true. So funny. I am such an old grandma. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, and our Lord, as uh, he being the second person of the Trinity, is not a creature. Mm. Ah. Yeah, our lady's the greatest ah. of all creation because our there. lord was not created well i didn't see an asterisk here on this question but uh well, there's there it is question number two we're gonna go to adrian yesterday i forgot to go to adrian the second i time. know i was in tears because uh you know it's not easy doing joe mcclain's job but uh, adrian where is temporal punishment due to sin remitted where is it remitted? Yeah. Well, we just talked about it on the show today. Really? Didn't you, weren't you paying attention? It was, uh, it's in yeah. the prison system. The American prison system has uh, you suffer your uh, temporal punishment due to sin. Are it's you telling there. me that half of 1% of the population is remitting for their sins? That's right. So maybe we should incarcerate huh. everyone so they we can, everyone could, be, could remit their sins in the, in the American... <laughs> Uh, prison system. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, go. Brent, uh, let's get your opinion on this. Where is temporal punishment due to sin remitted? Yeah, I, you know, I hate to break with my uh, brethren, Adrian, but I guess I have to take the opposite side of this issue, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I do know a little bit about Catholicism, Rudy, even though I've only been a con convert for 17 years, and the That's answer it? would be purgatory. Purgo. Okay. All right. Well, Angie, Brent says it's purgo. And Adrian says it's the American prison system. What do you think? Oh, I think Brent got this one. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's true. It is true. Your sin is remitted in purgatory. You are refined in the refiner's fire. It's not a fun place to be. You should aim for higher things. Uh, don't say you want to get to heaven by the skin of your teeth, dear listener. But uh, but strive for heaven. So let's ask the third question here. You're in for two, Angie, into the coffee cup of divine providence. You may win this week. I'm going to go back to Brent, and I'm going to ask you, Brent, what is the assembly of cardinals that elects a new pope called? It's simply called the convention. Convention? I mean, there's no special Like award. at the Ramada? Well, I mean, a convention the is Hilton. when people convene. So they are convening to elect the new pontiff there's no special word for it hmm. all right so convention all right adrian uh what do you what do you say what is the assembly of cardinals that elects a new pope called you happen to be hmm. part of this right i mean you, you can do this right right as a as a cardinal elector i mean i identify as a cardinal elector i will be um electing the the future pope oh, they just don't know it yet they good, haven't they good. haven't been told but 
They uh, they'll still find my out. name in there. They will find out soon. We'll, uh, we'll okay. see. We'll see. Uh, All right. I, I might vote for myself. It's a very a little impious, but you know, I, I, I think I'll do that. What if I give you a hundred bucks? Mm, it's very tempting. A hundred bucks make you pope. Um, tempting, tempting. But you know, my favorite one of my favorite TV shows was the was the old Adam West Batman, and he would always uh, the the red phone would ring. He'd pick up the phone, and there's a problem at foot. <laughs> so he turned to Robin. What would he say? He would look to his left, look to his right, and say, "Robin." To the conclave, <laughs> or was it Batcave? Oh, but anyway, the answer is the conclave. The conclave. The conclave. All right, Angie. We have uh, Adrian with the conclave, and we have Brent with the convention. Maybe at the Ramada. What do you think? Uh, it is Adrian. Although there was a whole lot of sketchy business before he gave his answer. <laughs> <laughs> Angie, you are in for three into the coffee cup of divine providence, which means you may win this amazing Italian rosary. Um, Yay! I, I'm, I think it might have been blessed by the conclave. I'm not entirely sure. But... Hey, I'll tell you what. I will bless it. <laughs> okay, okay, I don't I don't have the power to bless things, so no, I won't be blessing it, but I won't. Well, in any case, Angie, thank yeah. you so much for playing with us this morning and stepping up to call in. Uh, I wish more people would call in the morning. one 757 You should know the number by now, but Angie, you are in for three into the coffee cup. Yay. Appreciate you listening. We're gonna we're gonna put you on hold and uh, we're gonna get your information here. So just in case we draw you okay. on Friday, but uh, hang on there. And uh, that's gonna do it for our our uh, Catholic drive time today, at least for the radio side of things. But if you'd like to jump in, maybe you've gotten to work already, or you're done with your commute, and you're listening to us on the Guadalupe Radio Network app, and maybe you want to jump into our social feeds, maybe on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, or any any anything, Facebook even. You can even join on LinkedIn, of all places. You can join us and interact with us with our after show, where we loosen up our tie. I'm not wearing a tie today. Maybe I'll loosen up my ascot, but uh, Brent's going to let his hair down. Adrian's going to loosen up his tie as well. And uh, you can join us for the after show, where the conversation is driven by you, dear listeners. Listeners, you can jump in, talk about anything. Uh, we talk about food, movies, we talk about anything on your mind. So make sure to join us then. Tomorrow, we're going to have a very special guest from Breitbart. Uh, he's going to talk about the Cardinal Zen trial that's taking place without any support from the Vatican. So make sure to join us tomorrow. Keep uh, Joe McLean and his sons in your prayers today so that they get back home safely. They got a long drive. In any case, God bless you and Mary keep you. See you tomorrow. God willing. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas.
Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate St. Andrew, Tigon, and Companions. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Respond, ye souls, in last rest, ye patriarchs and the prophets blessed. Alleluia! Alleluia! Ye holy twelve, ye martyrs strong, all saints triumphant, raise the song. Alleluia! 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, God, and to, and you, to you, my, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned, in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask the Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who have been pleased to increase your adopted children in all the world, and who made the blood of the martyr St. Andrew Kim Tigon and his companions a most fruitful seed of Christians, grant that we may be defended by their help and profit always from their example. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of Proverbs. Like a stream is the king's heart in the hand of the Lord. Wherever it pleases him, he directs it. All the ways of a man may be right in his own eyes, but it is the Lord who proves hearts. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the tillage of the wicked is sin. The plans of the diligent are sure of profit, but all rash haste leads certainly to poverty. Whoever makes a fortune by a lying tongue is chasing a bubble over deadly snares. The soul of the wicked man desires evil. His neighbor finds no pity in his eyes. When the arrogant man is punished, the simple are the wiser. When the wise man is instructed, 
he gains knowledge. The just man appraises the house of the wicked. There is one who brings down the wicked to ruin. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will himself also will himself also call and not be heard. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. Blessed are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous deeds. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. The way of truth I have chosen. I have set your ordinances before me. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. Give me discernment that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. Lead me in the path of your commands, for in it I delight. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your and I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. Guide me, Lord, in the way of your commands. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. The mother of Jesus and his brothers came to him, but were unable to join him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they wish to see you. He said to them in reply, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and act on it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This morning's Gospel, we hear Jesus orienting our lives such that he gives primacy of place to us listening to the Word of God and implementing it, following it in our lives and our relationship with Jesus as his disciples as taking the first place even over our family relationships, which we know how important they are and should add that what Jesus says doesn't diminish anything about the strength of the natural family unit bond and what its intended place is meant to be in the church and in society. But it does say that the number one priority for each of us is to be able to hear the word of God and implement it in our life after the same kind of pattern and model as Mary, who is, of course, the mother of Jesus by birth, but also she is the mother in the sense she is the one who best heard the word of God and then acted on it. Very interestingly, here in the Diocese of Corpus Christi, when we did our synodal consultation process, one of the major themes or topics that came up was that precisely of listening. And we asked people, what are some of the impediments in life to listening well to God and to others? 
and what are some of the facilitators that help us to listen better to God and to others. And it was far easier for people to list the impediments than it was the facilitators, which was already an indicator to say, we have a hard time listening well to one another, and we have a hard time listening well to God. Some of the major impediments which came up that probably will not be news to any of us were, number one, the general kind of noise and busyness of life and of the world that we get running around from one thing to the next and we forget to stop and listen. Another very common one was that we hold on to our own preconceived notions. And so we're talking to people, but we already know what we're going to say. We already think we know what they're going to say and we don't wind up having any kind of real conversation. On the side of facilitators, which again kind of indicates some of the things that are missing, the number one facilitator for listening that people mentioned in particular in relationship to God was silence. And this is something we know that is dramatically lacking in our world. It seems everybody is married to their personal device and even in moments of downtime, where perhaps in the past we would have had a thoughtful moment of reflection, almost everybody grabs for their phone so they can occupy themselves by reading something, looking at something, watching some kind of video. And places where there could be moments of silence are when to be in silent, recollected prayer, to be able to hear his voice, to be able to hear to him speaking to us in sacred scripture, through his word, through the liturgy, and then to implement it. And lastly, I think kind of correlated to our inability to listen to one another oftentimes is to say many times in life God speaks to us through other human beings. Maybe it's our parents, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's just someone who we happen to meet. But if we're not just hearing but listening, we can also begin to see what God's voice is telling us even through the voice of other people and in our conversations with them. And so, my brothers and sisters, today as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that we would take steps to remove impediments to listening in our life, to be able to arrange our schedule to allow for quiet times of prayer, uh, to not be bombarded by the noise and the busyness and distractions of this world, to not allow our minds to become too fixated on particular points of view, especially related to secular and political things and that we would truly take the time to find silence in life, to be able to hear God's voice and to be able to act on it, knowing that this truly is the mark of a disciple, and this is the path which our Blessed Mother followed in a special way by hearing the Word of God, receiving it with great joy, and then acting on it with all her heart. Let us ask her intercession that we would always be able to do the same. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops, that they would be guided by the wisdom and counsel of the Holy Spirit in their decisions. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders, that they would be inspired to enact just laws that would protect and safeguard the dignity of human life from conception until natural death and laws which would never transgress the natural law of God. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. 
We pray to the Lord. We pray for our family, friends, and benefactors, for all those joining us online through Guadalupe Radio Media, for all those who have asked for our prayers, and for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. We pray that we would be fruitful listeners to the Word of God, hearing His Word and applying it in our lives. We pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow with food celestial Perverse and foolish oft I stray, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. Look with favor, Almighty God, on the offerings of your people, and through the intercession of the blessed martyrs, grant that we ourselves may become a sacrifice acceptable to you for the salvation of all the world, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle, the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. 
Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration. And we with all the hosts of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenisum celi et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to a second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim, by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Andrew, Kim, and companions, and with all the saints, on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. 
May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis our Pope, and Michael our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory, through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Preceptis salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater nostem, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat reinum tuum, fiat voluntas sua, sicud in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis habita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you stay. We told this back at Tamudi, Misere nobis. And you say, We told this back at Tamudi, Misere nobis. And you say, We told this back at Tamudi. Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O Jesus, we adore thee, who in thy love divine conceal thy mighty Godhead in forms of bread and wine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O Jesus, we adore thee, our victim and our priest, whose precious blood and body Become our sacred feast. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine. All praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Let us pray. Nourished with the food of the valiant as we celebrate the blessed martyrs, we humbly ask you, O Lord, that clinging faithfully to Christ, we may labor in the church for the salvation of all through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your seat. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Crown him with many crowns. The Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drums, all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the virgin son, the God incarnate born, whose arm those crimson trophies won, which now his brow adore. Fruit of the mystic rose, The prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy that Thy peace always, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. listening to KSHJ 